Grinding harder does not guarantee growth. You know what it does guarantee is fatigue and frustration, just like trying to pedal faster on a bicycle with a square wheel. Hi, my name is Brad Parnell, and with entrepreneurship, highs and lows, I share real stories, tips, and insights to help get your business and life to the next level. Be a Better Marketer is a movement about following proven plans that drive results. I'm so glad you're here with me today. Hey guys, welcome to Be a Better Marketer. My name is Brad Parnell. Thank you so much for joining. I am here with special guest today, Dan Englander, that I am so excited to be interviewing and talking about um, where he's at and what he does. Quick intro, uh, he, Dan founded a really neat company called Sales Schema, founded it in 2014. He's been through a lot of, of ups and downs and has some neat ad- analogies of going from jazz to science and some different things that I'm sure he will he will unpack um, but Dan, welcome to the show. Say hey to everybody. Thanks, Brad. Yes, sorry, I was a little delay there, but I appreciate it. Thanks for the great intro. Yeah, welcome, Dan. So, Dan, tell us a little bit about um, your your entrepreneur journey. So, we've got a bunch of people listening here that are entrepreneurs, business owners, and we always love love good stories. So, if you were to give us kind of a quick story of how you got to where you're at today, what does that what does that timeline look for you? Yeah, I'll see how quick I can keep it. Hopefully I can. But but anyway, um, I started, you know, kind of moved to New York out of college and worked a couple of BS internships, landed in the agency space through a connection from an old internship. This was the early days of social media, you know, around like 2011 when social media was getting really cool. And I was like on the account side. So I'd were, I was literally answering problems that people would bring up on a Facebook wall kind of landed a different job as um, a sales gig, basically as head of new business for a creative house slash animation studio and helped them grow, kind of like learn the ups and downs of shuffling back and forth between sales and client service. And then, you know, eventually kind of like took the whole Tim Ferriss pill and, you know, wanted to do my own thing. Um, This would have been around 2014 and started sales schema. And at that point I was like, well, you know, a lot of these companies I meet need help. Um, Top of funnel is always a pain point, you know, for most service businesses. And I wanted to build something that could, you know, scale and go beyond just like me trying to be a a coach or something. So I started sales schema. And then since then we've um, just focused on pretty much solving one problem, which is getting our clients meetings uh, (laughs) with skeptical people and have learned a lot in the process. And that's kind of where, where we are now. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. And what what a neat problem to solve because any business you talk to, right? We all know sales is the lifeblood of the business. We might be cute and soft and kind of dance around and be like, "Man, I really just want to help people or I really want to, you know, solve this problem." But ultimately, if you don't have sales, you you can't solve people's problems and you can't bring your solution to the marketplace. So, um I'm curious whenever you're whenever you're having those conversations with with clients, do you find it's like kind of a one-size-fits-all solution to to generate sales or what what does your system or process look like? Yeah, that's a good, it's a good question. Um, no, it's it's never completely one size fits all, but there's certain sort of um, there's certain sort of patterns that I think I see between different types of businesses, and I think that if you're going for like a mass market approach, right, and you're like a service business or whatever, and you're selling to like small, medium sized businesses. That's perhaps a different thing. I think where our core competency and where where we've you know really found things to work are 
kind of quote-unquote big-ticket B2B sales situations where trust and relationships are really important, right? And for that, our, our whole philosophy is that, you know, why not start building those relationships today instead of tomorrow and find a way to sort of like de-risk that conversation today instead of tomorrow. If you're, if you, you have a more transactional product or service and it's small ticket or you're selling to cut, you know, consumers kind of a different thing. All those, all those boxes still have to be there. It's still the same human wiring, right? Like at the end of the day, but how you build that trust might be a little different. But for us, um, the, the closest thing to the one size fits all is the trust that comes from, you know, using your existing relationships and your existing Rolodexes to find other people that are like your your current clients, and then expanding on from there. So there's a lot more I can go into from that, but that's kind of kind of how how we see things. Yeah, yeah, I love it. You know, I, I've heard one of my um, former uh, kind of partners I worked with said, "What was it like? It cost five times as much, or five times more, to acquire a new client than to to scale up." an existing client and he called those acres of diamonds. Like who are all those people out there um, that could be spending more with you <laughs> or have other people that they know they could connect you with instead of just going back and trying to find some new people all the time. Yeah. I mean that too, but the, the net new thing is, is like a big thing that we're focusing on. And I think that what we tend to see a lot of is that everybody's trying to kind of approach outreach and getting meetings with their, their future clients the same way. Right. Which was kind of how like I was taught and maybe how you, how you were taught too, which is like, okay, we're going to build this list. We're going to put them through a funnel. It's going to involve these touch points over these LinkedIn email phone, and we're going to throw case studies in front of them. And then we're going to get them to, to agree to speak. And I'm not saying that that never works. I'm not saying it can't work. I think there's a lot of people just through sheer force of will, you know, can make that work, right? If you have, especially if you have a big sales team and you have all these hunters and everything. I think the issue with that is, is like, okay, well, what happens if you are in a skeptical market and people kind of understand what you do already, you know, like you're an agency, that's one of, that's our biggest specialization um, or, or your coach or whatever. You're not like the hottest new tech product where a million people are going to say, yeah, I want to take a demo of this. Uh, and also what happens if you have limited resources, right? What happens if it's maybe you one salesperson who frankly should be spending most of their time talking to people uh, or you're just an owner and you've got a million things to do. What's, what's the best leverage point. And our whole philosophy is like, instead of just making this list and going and cold what if you were to find to venn diagram your total addressable market with the people that are already likely to talk to you right um and have you ever heard of dunbar's number brad by chance you know i it's i'm, I'm sure i've heard of it but i i can't remember what it is you can explain it to me in the audience here yeah i mean i'm probably going to butcher it too but but it's sort of the idea that there's a certain number of relationships that you can have in different spheres of, of your life right like you might have like five close family and confidants, the people that you go to in real times of trouble who know everything about you, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Then you might have, you know, 15 kind of close friends and then you have, and then it kind of expands out by roughly thirds. And then Dunbar's number, I think refers to like 150 relationships that you can have, like people that know you. And if you, if you pick up the phone, you're like, Oh, Hey Brad, how you doing? You haven't talked in a while from there. My whole, my whole thinking is that there, there are other spheres of influence that go beyond that Dunbar's number by thirds. And those are the people that would, that don't know you at all, but would take a call with you based on a business and or personal commonality. 
right? Like, i.e., hey, we attended the same trade show. We have friends in common. You know, there's the six degrees of separation thing. Uh, we used to work at the same company. We worked with a client, and I saw you used to work at that client's company. Um, you, we went to the same college. Like these, these things go on and on. So those are the sorts of campaigns that we're running for clients, where we might say, "Hey, we want to go after all these companies. Where do you have those ends already?" And let's start there, because um, that's going to do a lot more to de-risk a conversation than just throwing more case studies at the wall. If, great, you have a case study. Everyone has a case study. That's kind of how we're thinking about it. If that makes sense. Yeah, I love it. So you use the words relationship and trust a lot. So it sounds like really the philosophy is. If you can build trust quickly and have some sort of connection point for a relationship, then you can disarm people a lot quicker to to have an authentic conversation instead of just throwing more crap at them that <laughs> they may or may not want to see. Yeah, 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 definitely. That, that's kind of how we think about it. And how you build that trust is going to be domain centric, right? Like this isn't going to work for going after like consumers a lot of the time or something like that because it's just – it's too, it's not necessary. Like there might be a better way to do it through like inbound funnels or video or whatever. Um, but but yeah, ass- assuming like it's worth the time and energy to be getting on calls with people to close a quote unquote big ticket sale, um, then this is this is an approach that I think works pretty well. And to talk about trust a little bit, um, there's to get more academic and you know talk about another another concept. Um, do you know Gene Schwartz by the way, or like Breakthrough Advertising? You ever heard of that book? have it i'm i'm gonna um, i'm gonna hopefully one of the things you mentioned i will have heard of but you're gonna be educating me today <laughs> no nah, it's it's okay like, well it, it's it's kind of obscure anyway because it's like one of these books that was pop it was like written in the 60s and it's actually kind of hard to find um really interesting book but he, he like talks about the stages of market sophistication where it's like unaware henry ford's car right versus the uh the horse and buggy a car would have been the classic like if you ask people what they wanted they would have said a faster horse that's unaware and then markets get increasingly more skeptical increasingly skeptical then you might have like okay uber versus lyft and then you know it kind of keeps going from there until you get to most skeptical um and most skeptical doesn't mean you're in a bad market it just means you have to market differently and at that point it becomes more about trust so if you're talking about our you know one of our biggest verticals agencies uh coaches people kind of like know what you do. It's not new and shiny anymore. And your differentiators are more subtle. Mm-hmm. And it's something that people experience after they've worked with you. So it's not like you can just throw case studies at the wall and expect that to build trust. In the early days of the agency world, maybe you could, right? If you said, hey, I'm a social media agency. Oh, that's cool. Let me see your case studies. And that actually could build. That's enough of a differentiator in order to build that trust. But now I actually think for better or worse, um, we're going back to a more tribal phase, right? And tribal can mean kind of very negative or very positive connotations, just depending wow. on what we're talking about. Um, and that's that's kind of where we are now. We're really like the campaigns that work are like, well, you know, you you are in our world. It's kind of like the effect of it. And I should at least have this conversation with you. Um, and that's ultimately that's the only thing we're really trying to do with outreach is like, you know, just like any funnel, you're just trying to get that conversation. So um, at the same time, like, you know, the process that we've, we've sort of are trademarking relationship sales at scale. Um, and that even if you don't hire us, you know, you can hopefully take this philosophy and run with it. The scale element is still, still really important where you can't just be contacting 10 people a day. Right. Cause that's like, you know, timing could be off a million things could be off that make you, 
not get good results from that. So we are probably contacting 50 to 200 people per business day, but pretty much all of them, um, because of the level of that connection, hey, I saw we both went to the same college. I saw we're, you know, I saw you wanted to politely reach out. We're both in Keller, Texas, and you were really doing doing very interesting things. And by the way, we've worked with clients like yours. All of those things are creating the effect of wow, this person actually sat down and, and did their research, and 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 so on. So those those that's kind of how we're thinking about it, and it's actually less of the old school sales approach. It's both old school and new school because it's old school in that we're using something that's very timeless, which is the trust that comes from relationships. Um, but it's new school in that we're not doing the thing where we're just putting adding more stuff, like putting in more touch points. A lot of the times we might just have one or two touch points over just one channel. Like we might just use email for it. But the thing that makes it work is the the core strength of that connection, you know, and, and starting from front loading a lot of that work and a lot of that data work to get it right. Um, so anyway, I've been rambling for a while. So <laughs> let, me, no, let me pause there. No, that's great. So I'd love to hear where, where do you see the future of, you talk about kind of the specialty of, of a high ticket B2B sale. So for any listeners right now that do are in the B2B space and you do have a, a high ticket sale, first I'd love to define, Dan, what, what do you, what, what is your definition of a, of a high ticket sale? Yeah, it's a good question. And I don't know if there's like a definitive dollar amount, but I, I usually think of this as roughly like a five figure minimum investment. It's the sort of investment where somebody's going to need to get on a call um, to, to close it. Uh, and, and also, you know, something where there, where you can live off a relatively limited volume. You know, I think that if you were selling to every, uh, you know, mom and pop restaurant in America and you're doing this sort of like mass kind of like massive campaign to sell like coaching services or whatever it is you might be selling. Um, I think that that might be better done through, you know, uh, inbound campaigns, ads or something like that. Yep. I think for what we're talking about based on the work it takes to get the strategy right. And then to get on multiple sales calls with somebody, yep. um, there should be a big enough pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So what that number is depends on your industry, but it's something like that. Yeah, no, that's good. So if you, if you are, B2B, so business to business, and you're selling things that are $10,000 and up, what Dan is saying based on his his research and based on what's working and now he's helping other clients is work on the trust and the relationships um, and finding finding connection points. So if, if you were to maybe give some just like practical tips, obviously Dan will, Dan will kind of share at the end of this if you want to connect with him and go deeper um, we'll have a way to do that, but just kind of ask some good insight and advice. Are there some practical or tactical things that you could recommend that, you know, any high ticket B2B listeners on here could start doing to improve their game? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I think the first one is to prioritize getting, getting meetings, right? I think a lot of the times people are doing kind of like random haphazard marketing and that sort of thing. Um, I'm not saying not to, to put out inbound content, but I think like, like we're doing a podcast now, you know, ideally you have like one big inbound project, whether that's a blog or something like that. So I think prioritizing, like just getting very specific on who, who you're selling to and all that good stuff um, and, and prioritizing getting meetings by hook or by crook. And if you find a tactic that's completely different than everything that I've talked to that gets you those meetings with those right people, by all means, like throw out everything I've talked about. But beyond that, um, if you, if you know, if you're willing to kind of eat the dog food, I've thrown out here. Um, I think that, 
starting by by from there, you know, once like getting specific on that list of companies and then figuring out the people that are, are likely to share that kind of circle of influence with you and not overcomplicating it, right? So you might have a list that's like, okay, I'm going to identify the companies that I can do business with that are in my hometown right now, you know, that are in my backyard. I'm not going to worry about the shiny object companies over here, the ones that seem really great, you know. I want to find the ones that fit the bill that are that are right here. Um, that's just one example of a campaign. Maybe it's somebody that went, you know, uh, prospects that went to the same college as you. And what that's going to mean is it might mean more work at the front end uh, in terms of like finding that data and getting it all ready to go and curated, as opposed to doing all the work on the back end with like, well, nobody's responding to this first email, so now we're going to hit them up on LinkedIn and hope that works, right? So I, I think just like simplifying the process a lot and thinking about everything in terms of de-risking that call, right? So hopefully hopefully that's useful. Yeah, I love that. So just a just a bullet point, hopefully I don't botch into this up, but if, if you are B, B2B high ticket sales and you want to take expert advice from the founder of a sales company that has helped, I think I wrote it down here, a pretty impressive number, um, what, 10,000 prospect relationships that you've helped and won millions in lifetime value for clients. So had some results there. <laughs> Whatever it is, yeah, something like that. <laughs> but so the three things here is prioritize meetings. And it sounds like even prioritize the channel. So, you know, if you say like, hey, I'm going to focus on, you know, getting meetings through LinkedIn or Alignable or fill in the blank, like focusing on prioritizing those. Yeah, I... Just to, just to, to um, clarify a little bit, I, I would actually prioritize the channel a little bit less. I, I think okay. email does does a good job for a lot of reasons um, because it's where we go to do business. It's it shows a level of intent, um, but I think the channel is less important. It's more about the strength of that connection, right? Like mm. we could we could say, hey, we have this really strong connection. We could say it over LinkedIn and probably work just as well as anywhere else. I think just the good thing about email is that it's practical. You know, we all have to go to our inboxes for better or worse and it's trackable and there's others, there's other pros there. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Okay. No, no, that's a great point. So channel agnostic, but prioritizing, just trying to get those meetings through, through whatever relationship based channel. Yeah. And then, and then you also say by hook or by crook. So there's not a, a push button. This works for everyone all the time. It's, you know, you've got to find, it sounds like kind of like, what works and stick with it and then really trying to get that list of of people if you can find that connection um list of people that you can start prioritizing and start trying to build those relationships and connections uh those are some yeah free tips from dan yeah yeah, totally. And I think that I'm actually actually stealing this one from, from Marcel Petipa, um, who had a really good tactic the other day when I spoke at his podcast. But like one thing you can do is write the template for all the custom information that would make a really compelling email. Like if you were going to make the most compelling email and say, I saw this, that, and the third about you, and we're doing this thing, just write that out and then find a way to fill in all those blanks. Like it's the, the classic Mad Lib. That's one way to do it. Um, but all those things, you know, you, the, you can get, but overall, uh, start simple <laughs> and think think more about the strength of that connection as opposed to building a complex funnel that follows up too many times. So it's kind of yep. kind of uh, the way we like to think about it. Yeah. Man, I love that. I, I can't tell you how many times because we, you know, in, in Genie Rocket, we help people send out personalized emails and some automations and build some simple funnels. And obviously... Funnels and stuff work depending on uh, your your product, your offer, all those variables. And we've seen some 
some high ticket funnels work, but they're very different. It's more of like a like an application funnel. Apply to work with this group. So you have to create that desire first. But you know, I think you know those of yeah. you that are using Genie Rocket and want to apply some of these things, you know, you can you can pre-write some of those emails as templates and easily start using those just to send out you know the text or emails and already have that um, kind of canned response and go back and fill in the blanks. I think that's a, a great strategy. Um, Dan, yeah, I thought- and I, and I would just say like. Definitely, this is not an argument against funnels writ large. Um, it's just an argument against over-relying on the funnel to de-risk that conversation, right? And I think that Absolutely. software and, and, and powerful tools like the one you have can definitely implement with everything I've talked about and, and help you get, get further along. Yeah. Yeah. It's the it's the implementing lots of different strategies. And like you mentioned, to seeing, seeing what works. I mean, I, I actually was the purchaser of a, of a high ticket coaching offer through a funnel. And, but, but that funnel got me to yeah. book an appointment and the sales guy did a, a one call close on me <laughs> and it was, yeah. it was a high ticket sale. So um, it's interesting to see different ways to do it. So I want to, I want to switch Dan real fast. Um, part of your story and, and what you talk about, I love all your analogies. You talk about, uh, you know, being a perfect, like treating sales almost like a professional poker player would. Um, and going from kind of a jazz to a science, I'd like, I'd like maybe just you to unpack that a little bit. What is, what does a jazz yeah. sales player look like versus a, a scientific <laughs> sales player? Yeah, it's totally. So I, it's, I'm actually not a poker player. So this isn't like a, you know, like a win to fold and, you know, this isn't like a tactical metaphor. It's more like being able to choose which, what tables you want to play at and that kind of thing. Right. So the real, I mean, I think I think the way that I was kind of taught to think about sales is it's the only thing you really have control over is your time, right, and where you invest it. So that's probably where where that came from. Um, as opposed to jazz the science, I think it comes up a lot in our world when we're talking with with people that have built their business on referrals and that sort of thing, where they're really kind of all over the place. And when you get beyond that and you go to you know whether it's an inbound lead or outbound or whatever it might be. Um, you have to tighten things up, right? And that that can be a little bit like jumping in the cold water. So the only way to do that is to go through the motions and to actually continually test your process um, and that sort of thing. So that's the main thing is like, you know, really taking it, yeah, really taking it from jazz to science and getting to a place where it's rote and you can then hire somebody and plug somebody else into this process as opposed to just an owner doing it forever. Like I did for the last few years until we've, we've recently hired someone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that analogy. I think before the podcast, we talked about us both being uh, musicians. I've got an amp here behind me and Dan has the same. Yeah. Amp. So I remember I actually took jazz yeah. guitar in a college. I actually have my, so. my SG. Hey, oh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Man, that was always yeah, my, my dream guitar. I played in a lot of bands growing up. I ended up with a, um, an yeah. Epiphone Les Paul and a, uh, a Fender Stratocaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wish I got on the Fender train. I feel like I missed it, though. I was always kind of a Gibson guy. And I think we before the show, we were talking about that Vox amp, and it was like very much like the Spinal Tap moment where I, I got the same amp, and the Dual Cab, which is twice the weight and twice the size, was the same price as the, the Solo. And when I bought it, when I was like 18, I was like, why would anybody, you know, for the same price, get the smaller one? And he's like, you'll see, man. And then after like hauling that thing to gigs and, you know, sweating, <laughs> carrying it through a parking lot so many times, it's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> so you yeah. made the right move with that. Uh, that's that's good. It's It's been a fun one. Now it's just nice office decoration 
uh, don't get to play yeah. much anymore <laughs> with my growing family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, what, what, I, what I love in that is you talk about your sales process being kind of like free jazz and almost just kind of like this art. And that's very much like emotion-based selling. And I think if we're all honest, like that almost comes comes natural. We're all, you know, unless we have a process to follow, we're all kind of like emotional-based jazz player sales guys. And sometimes we hit it and sometimes we don't. But I love the idea of following a process and taking some of that emotion out of it. And that doesn't mean don't make it personalized, but that means just sticking to a process so it's not based on yeah. what kind of coffee you had that morning or <laughs> what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and I think it's like, it's it's one of these sort of uh, fractal metaphors because like, jazz isn't all jazz, right? Like there's a lot of structure to good jazz probably or any music, any music for that matter where there's improvisation and then, and then science, if you learn about science, isn't all science either. Like there's a lot of uh, creativity that goes into formulating the experiment to run in the first place, right? So these things are always kind of mixed anyway. But but anyway, I'm lose, I know kind of losing the plot. Um, but I, I think that what you said is true. And like, I think that if you're an owner, you can kind of get by being <clears throat> being jazzy, you know, for a long time because there's a certain je ne sais quoi, right? There's a certain like thing that, will we'll get you by and will help you close deals. But when you want to hire somebody else to do it, you need more structure there. And I think that the only way to build that structure is to like actually go out into the trenches and, you know, work, work the, the processes that you're building on actual prospects. <laughs> and that's, that is so great. I know I'm very guilty of uh, doing too much jazz in my business. And I think if we're all honest and entrepreneurs here, <laughs> I think a lot of us are, are too, maybe a little bit too much jazz. Um, so I think that's a that's a really good analogy. Well, Dan, I want to respect your time, man. I would love maybe for you to share people that want to continue to connect with you, learn more about what you do. Where can they go find you online? Yeah, I really appreciate it, Brad. Um, so we have a, a, an on-demand live training that covers a lot of this stuff. It covers like live case studies, actual copy examples and stuff. So if anyone's interested in that, it's just saleschema.com slash relationships, plural, and uh, hopefully we can get that linked up. Um, and then over email is great, you know, just dan at saleschema.com. Always happy to nerd out with people. That is awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being a guest. Guys, I hope, I hope you got some great value out of the time with Dan. Again, Dan has worked with a ton of people just like you. And he's given you some free advice you can go implement today. And I think the key takeaway, if, if I was to, to go through all this, I mean, it really is just the, the key of building trust, finding those connection points, and not being afraid to try different tactics um, to get different results. And if you want a proven process and want Dan and his team to help you set those connections and set those appointments, um, go, go to that link. I'll put it in the show notes here. You can go to his free training. Um, add him to your, your tribe, message him, see how we can help you. Um, Dan, anything before we go, any final words you'd like to, to give this audience? Yeah, I think the, the important thing is like just to really, really simplify it, you know, and, uh, and just kind of get started with, with something and then that'll take you to the next thing. So that's, that's probably it. I think I just know when I listen to tactical podcasts, I end up getting overwhelmed with all the, <laughs> you know, all the possibilities. So yes. I think getting clarity and like simplifying things is the, the best starting point. I love it. Keep it simple. You guys heard it here from Dan. Dan, thank you so much for being on the show and we'll catch you guys all next time. Brad, this is a lot of fun. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Well, hold on one second.
Hey, so if you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to rate and review and share this podcast. It would mean the world to me. So if you could write a quick review, give it a five-star rating. And then if there's anyone you think that could be inspired or motivated by this lesson, please share it. That's how we grow. And thanks for your support.